Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Stasis Chamber, an ad nerdium series. As always, I am your host, Patrick Salerno, and today with me are two returning guests and friends, Mr. Will Roach and Mr. Risen Means. How are you guys doing today? Doing all right. How are you? Doing pretty good. It is great to have you both on for the first Stasis Chamber. Uh, our Stasis Chambers are the more casual equivalent of our podcast, a chance for as many guests that can come back to chat about the episodes, chat about what's going on in the nerd community now, uh, and comment on what we thought and what we're thinking. Um, it's going to be a casual conversation with a mix of uh, topics. Uh, the first part, delving into our previous episodes, uh, different thoughts and queries about what we talked about, maybe some new insights, some funny stories, things like that. Uh, and then the second part is going to be nerd news. What's going on in nerddom today? Uh, any exciting announcements, uh, breaking scandals in the nerdverse, and things of the like. Uh, but first... What's been going on in your guys' lives these past few weeks? A lot of a lot of a lot of school. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of school. That's um the best way to sum it up. Lots of schoolwork and individual projects that have been taking up a lot of my time. And not allowing it... a lot of time for sleep. <laughs> even even virtually, uh to kick you in the ass uh i've been saying to some friends that it seems that the the school thinks that because we have five hours of extra homework a week because we don't have the five minute walk to class anymore which is definitely not the case a lot of my classes are hybrid and that has been interesting and has its own slew of of challenges um it's uh it's especially weird when one of my classes we're making a literary journal. Uh, so that has been an interesting experience, like leading a team for that, but still having to talk to some people in class and some people on Zoom and with all the technical difficulties and, and everything. It's been, it's been weird, but not terrible. Say. No, yeah. I mean it's the Zoom format has definitely made a lot of a lot of things very interesting. And uh there's no hybrid classes with Will and I right now. Um, but there might be come next semester. So I am I'm interested to see how they do it. Well let's uh let's get to the episodes uh and we'll go in order because we had a premiere. We had a first episode that some of you listening may have watched or listened to, I should say. Um, and Risen, you were one of those listeners. We had uh, 90 views on episode one, which I think is not bad for a podcast from some random college kids. Uh, <laughs> that got me excited. It did. It did. And we've had a good retention of viewers, which I'm, I'm very excited about. And I'm hoping we can build a community as we keep producing comment uh, content. But uh, Risen, what did uh, what did episode one make you think about? What did it spark in you? For reference, episode one was uh, of clones and identity. For those of you who may have forgotten or not have listened, so I 
I like Star Wars a whole lot um, as well. And I think for me, I am a fan of the Clone Wars series. I'm a fan of Rebels, Star Wars Rebels, which has some clones in it. Uh, Captain Rex is a prominent character in that. Ahsoka is a prominent character in that. Um, but I, you know, the prequel movies are not very good, and I think <laughs> when I, I think it's just interesting that these clones are so fleshed out in our heads, but in the movies they were just this kind of whatever thing like they were background basically um and i i thought that was especially interesting because i remember you saying something along the lines of like george lucas didn't want any third party writer writing specifically about the clones and that makes it seem like he had this whole master plan for it and all it was was background it was it was just and well star wars seems to have um star wars seems star wars fans i should say seem to have an obsession with background characters um i'm reminded i don't know the name of the pilot uh but there's one particular pilot in one of the original movies (laughs) that carries an ice cream maker as a prop and Mm -hmm. he's like running around and I think just about every Star Wars cosplayer I know has decided that that is someone they have to cosplay. Um, so it's it's not unlike the community to take, let's say, a random bounty hunter that has five minutes of screen time, the entire original trilogy, mm-hmm. and turn them into the biggest badass on the planet. No, yeah, I mean, I... man, come on, lizard man! You can't, you can't just pass <laughs> by a lizard man and not have a lot of questions. That all of them, yeah. yeah Bach, it, it... I think it's the name of the lizard guy. Hold on, let me hmm? just double check. I believe so. Uh, yes, Bosk uh, is the name of the lizard man. But Bosk, yeah, uh, you know, uh, IG eighty eight. I think is the is the other one. You know, and everybody's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And they're on for maybe a scene, mm-hmm. maybe two. And the one bounty yeah. hunter we do get more time with uh, gets a good bit of the end of episode five, but then like is thrown away basically in the beginning of six. <laughs> I mean, we we talk about that too. We talk about like, oh, look at Captain Phasma, right? And mm-hmm. Captain Phasma has almost the same type of arc that Boba Fett has. Yeah, the same kind of arc that Boba Fett has. They hardly speak. They're only there a few moments. And they fail pretty much instantly. But one is a super badass that is the biggest, baddest bounty hunter in the universe. And the other is supposedly, you know, this weak-ass character that has no development and is super stupid thing is they gave boba a cool uh cool scenes of he's the reason they tracked him to bespin and uh taking the the uh frozen han to uh 
the huts and the most iconic scenes we get with phasma are yelling by intentionally sabotaging your own battle station and then dying like those are the three we get do we actually see boba though do those things that you mentioned or are they just we see that we see the tracking we see the tracking because when they go yeah. away with the space junk boba follows them and we do see uh we do see boba take uh take han onto his ship and At we end, later uh, learn that's to take yeah. it to the huts yeah yeah but i i see those points but before the movies were were the sequel trilogy came out there was a phasma book right and that book is pretty good um it fleshes out that character really well and i super understand the sentiment of i shouldn't have to enjoy a movie and read a book in order to understand <laughs> the movie i get that um but I do think that there's a whole bunch of different reasons and societal reasons like Phasma is a woman, right? That's that almost definitely plays a huge factor into people's enjoyment with the character. Um, it's the, I think, I, I mean, I think Phasma looks pretty cool. I thought her whole, that the, her death scene was one of the cooler ones for sure. I also don't think that she was given enough time. I no, think he wasn't. she shouldn't have just been another Boba yeah. Fett where she's intimidating, but from the from behind the scenes, I think she could have been a much more intimidating presence. I mean, the thing uh, about that though is like almost everything I love about Star Wars is from the extended universe. Is that yeah. there are so many wonderful things that happen in the movies, don't get me wrong. And I'm not bashing anyone's opinion about any character. I love them all. You know, I am a fan. I love them all. There's a place in my heart for about every character. And I don't think, I, I think some people will be mad at me for saying that. But there is a place for my heart for everybody in Star Wars. But it's the EU that um, really made these characters come to life, you know. Technically, if we count it, the TV shows are ex kind of extended university. Um, Dave Filoni really did a good job of pulling from Legends sources, especially because mm -hmm. they started before Legends was Legends. Legends yeah. was just the universe at that point. And they kept that continuity going even after they brought it back. Um, so what, what we all love about Star Wars is what we did with it after George Lucas gave it to us. Mm -hmm. We love it because of the ice cream man, who I will refer to him <laughs> as that to the chagrin of every original series star, uh, every original movie fans. Um, we love it because of those stories of all of the comics that came out after the original movies, of the books that came out of the original movies. Um, I, I'm thinking of uh, the ones you know that were featured in the Clone Wars. A lot of that mythos, mythos was old legends with luke going against uh was it i'm thinking abela uh it's the mother it's the wife of the father and uh 
yeah, Abeloth, I believe it is. Abeloth's um, one of Abeloth, who was, you know, all of that storyline with the ones and the mother uh, was from the old legends. I also, um, I also think uh, the kind of going off of that, the thing, the oddities of the original movies that we uh, that we like latch onto, the fact that um, the most heavy set pilot of Red Squadron is named Porkins is just <laughs> like the, the oddities there. Um, the, the excessive use of the Wilhelm scream, which is now just so beloved. Um, there's a lot of aspects of it that kind of show how this like piece of art and these multiple pieces of art transcend the original like creator after it's out in the world because of what people associate with it, because of how people interpret it. Um, and I think those aspects are things that we love almost unintentionally from the creator's point of view. Uh, and I don't know if that's actually a good thing or bad thing for some aspects. I think for like Yaddle and Yoda wondering what the rest of that species is, I think that's designed. Uh, Ice Cream Man, I don't know if that's designed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. And what you take with it is what you take with it. Um, any final thoughts before we move on to uh, the next episode? I will say disclaimer. I have not watched the majority of the Clone Wars series. I've watched about the first season and the last season. Uh, I was I, I had something going with friends where we were re-watching everything before the last season came out. And it was in the middle of the spring of the fall semester. And we really fell off the wagon. So most of that episode is me either going off of what I already know or just philosophically going off of it. Well, you need to you need to do better. And that's where we'll end that. Um, going on to episode <laughs> two. Um, uh, episode two, uh, we had the incomparable Clark and Ashley Oliver, who are unfortunately not with us tonight, but they will definitely be back at some point for maybe another episode and hopefully a future stasis chamber. Um, one of my takeaways from that episode was I'm, I'm starting to notice with this podcast uh, a theme of empathy and inclusion and how that is integral to the nerd world. Uh, thoughts on that, my friends? I think like most places, so many of these communities draw the, are, are so attractive to people who are outsiders, right? Because it's really easy to grow up in a small town and be like, I'm the only person in the entire world who likes to dress up like these fake characters. Like, it's really easy to fall into that mindset. And then there are these opportunities, whether through online or through conventions or whatever, where it's like, oh, wait, I'm not the only person. I'm not that weird. I'm not that outsider. Um, I just haven't found the right people. And 
I think cosplay is is a huge example of that, but also like like with role playing games, right? With when you go to a game store, you are surrounded by people who like the same stuff as you, right? And all of the similarities and differences between you and all the people sitting around you, right? Uh, it's, I think, it's pretty widely accepted that if you're a gatekeeper, you're a prick, right? <laughs> that is true. So, and there's gatekeepers in, in all communities, but it, it's, it's special because I think for so many of these communities, there, there isn't that many gatekeepers and that like i've read i've read stories and talked with like game designers who are like yeah the reason why i got into game design is because somebody said that because i'm x i can't do y and i just wanted to see that person shut up and it's like yeah i want to see that person shut up too that's it's cool how accepting all of these communities are we certainly are oh go ahead will sorry um i think acceptance comes from kind of a breaking of a cycle that could have formed um a lot of like the early uh like 60s 70s 80s nerddoms uh aced ridicule from uh from peers at the time Mostly when you're like in high school or in middle school, that kind of stuff, where people um could pick on a lot of the people that uh partook in these activities uh easily, and um it could have resulted in a cemented permanent idea of this gatekeeper mentality where it's oh, you didn't have your entire uh, you didn't have your model lightsaber snapped by on the playground. Uh, you aren't the same level of status nerddom as me because you haven't gone through that trauma. Now it's become, hey, let's not even have that trauma at all. And you can be here, be safe, do it. And you don't have to go through what people had to go through 20, 30 years ago to enjoy these uh, these great pieces of work and to, and to live and breathe these fandoms. It makes it that much easier to jump into. I think Ashley said it very nicely um, during the episode. She talked about um, the the trend of perfection. Um, that there were these people and their skills started to get better. And then the cosplaying community in particular had to go through that breaking point of, are we going to become about this like elitist, I can do this better than now? Or are we going to go into a more accepting direction? And I think we definitely started going towards the elitist uh, idea. And I don't think we've shaked that in the cosplay community. But I think um, the 2020 cosplay community even though we are all, all, all even though we are all virtual right now is more accepting um and you know we we have to deal with the gatekeepers 
I think partly because of the bullying in that this was the nerd community was a little bit of a reactionary community that there wasn't a space outside for us. So we built our own and then other people started coming in. And so there's still that um, hegemony that is built into the nerd community of the, the old guard, you know, um, who are afraid of, afraid of accepting new kinds of people because of, the, of what their experience was with other kinds of people. And it isn't healthy. It isn't. Um, I think, uh, I know Joe Manganello uh, is doing uh, his jocks machina because of the fact that he has been a lifelong nerd and feels that people who look like him you know, the, the jock types have a, there is a stigma about them because of the real bullying that took place for many of the, the elder nerds. <laughs> I, I will word it that way. You know, I mean, I was bullied. I remember that. I, I, there, you know, I'm still uncomfortable around the jockey types because of it. Mm-hmm. But I'm trying to be more accepting of that. And he's made a good point that, you know, if our community really is about that, then let's let's do something about it. And we're not, you know, I know this is kind of breaking the rule a little bit about nerd news later and thoughts on the episode, <laughs> but it, it, this is relevant. Um, if either of you guys are fans or have heard anything about Rooster Teeth as of late, um, mm-hmm. yeah. then I think you know them. Um, Rooster Teeth is a digital media company, like an entertainment company, popular on YouTube, on Twitch. They do a lot of stuff with games and video games. Um, They run RTX, which is a very popular convention in Austin, Texas. Um, They recently had a scandal involving issues that are related to this in that there is this system of power that has been created in the nerd community of, you know, of the male whiteness of privilege and those people of privilege having the ability to exert power over others. Um, And there is a controversy right now about that of some recent exposures. I won't go into full detail here. Um, but it, it shows you that it's still present, that you know, that there are still, even in this community, that power and privilege that we see that took Harvey Weinstein down, you know, all of them, it's it still exists in our community. and we're not we're not exempt from it, and it's there. Yeah, I I think uh, it's, but it's not just you know these figures exerting their power, right? Like it's also like a few days ago I, I saw this thing where someone made this art and it featured a black elf, and someone was like, "Elves can't be black," blah blah blah, racism. And it's what those are a lot of people who are prevalent in these communities where that that is a very it's not I wouldn't say it's the 
majority way of thinking, but it's a loud voice. It's yeah. a loud voice in a lot of communities where it's like, this is how it's always been. And there's no point in changing it because why it's been working so, so far. And that does exclude people. You know, if you make an entire race of the, an entire fantasy race say, well, those are that race can only be white. You're excluding entire populations of people. And it's, uh, it's something that I'm glad is finally being addressed and finally changing. I just don't think that it's changing fast enough, I guess, is because like the, those people are going to be around forever. Right. It's, but it's just up to everyone else to step up and say, we are not going to accept this type of behavior. We're not going to accept this way of thinking. So yeah, it's, it's one of those things where we just have to, to root it out and figure out who yeah. is the bad people and not play games with them, yeah, not interact with them. Uh, and kind of jumping off of that and semi transitioning into our, into the topic of the third episode of this month. Um, I think that's one of the things that like, we've been making more progress towards that. Um, and wizards of the coast recently did a lot to recognize some of the own issues they had in their materials. Um, especially in the, uh, negative stereotypes that can be applied using mm -hmm. the orcs for uh for reference uh, the for orcs and half -orc. you're not familiar with wizards of the coast yes. they are the company that runs and operates uh the games magic the gathering and dungeons and dragons uh so they have a heavy voice in the nerd community so as they were just translating from all the things they've read which came from an earlier time uh, it was hard to recognize that at that same time they were perpetuating uh, stereotypes that were under the surface. Uh, the idea that an entire race of people can only be evil by nature or can only be less intelligent or are in some way like more monstrous, not even in the sense of like they are more like a monster, it's like they they could feel less intrinsically valued as a being um and i think some of the steps they're taking uh to remedy that and even what they're doing with ableism by adding in uh rules for being in a wheelchair and different disabilities that characters can have and still be engaging and powerful um kind of help towards that inclusive inclusivity and diversity that we are striving for as a community that wants to be that safe haven that wants to be the exact opposite of what others have experienced before uh and i think that's a good direction to be going in no i think that's a i think that's definitely a very good point and i will take that segue to finish the transition to the third uh 
the third episode. Um, episode three, we talked about role-playing games and stories. Uh, so, Will, uh, I believe of the three of us, you are the comparatively new DM. Um, yes, very, very how new. How have you found uh, making D&D stories to be so far? So, I have, don't have a lot of experience writing my own stories. I've only done it twice. I uh, really only once, where um, I had a campaign uh, where I it was in a whole new world that I created, uh, and I had an idea of where the first city was going to be. And every week, just kind of going off the fly of what the characters had done during the previous week, I would plan ahead. And a story took shape. Uh, I remember, Patrick, you were part of that campaign. I was. Um, and I was really trying to take a lot of cues about what you guys wanted to do. Um, I know there were some people in the group that were like, very combat heavy but i didn't want to only do combat since a lot of them were new to the game and i wanted to give that idea of how cool rp could be so i tried to throw in rp elements in the setup for uh more traditional quests like i remember there was one point in which um an old leader of the resistance in the city they were in uh was telling them about uh, some an artifact they could go find to help them in their effort. Um, and he said, oh, you'll have to swim underwater. And one of the players went, well, I can't swim. And he turned to him and said, I, I, I thought, what can I do in this moment to make this engaging for them? And I just had the old man turn to him and went, well, well, I can, I can teach you. And it just, it just steamrolled into this whole father-son uh like dynamic but very played up very um very energetically uh and it was just fun for them i to be honest i wasn't really worried about having a huge overarching story which i had originally thought about when making the world where i I started to just focus in on the individual moments and try to make those work and hopefully plant seeds for things later, but not really worry about it yeah. at the moment. Thoughts on that, Rizm? Yeah, it's, um, I think that just shows the power that role-playing games have, right? Like, you can get as big or small as you want, but it's really those little moments that, uh, matter and that really stick out in players minds i think um the artistry and the where if you're a more experienced dm or whatever that that comes with dming is the uh taking all of those moments and stringing it together to make a longer campaign because though that's the and those those moments are fulfilling in the moment, but that longer campaign is fulfilling long term. So it's it's one of those things where if you get a string of those moments, then you have something really really special. 
And, you know, not every moment needs to be super powerful, right? Like in uh, the, this game that I've been running for a while, uh, two moments that have forever stuck in my head have been um, this moment where one of the characters is holding like their adopted son dead in her arms, but also uh, this moment where two characters were cursed to be children and they had a food fight in the middle of a banquet hall. So like both of those moments are stick out in my head and I, I relive those moments constantly, but they are so different emotionally and the players remember both, you know, they were both extremely important moments in their own regard. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of times where uh, just throwaway jokes become these long-standing things. And uh, Will, you said something interesting uh, where right at the beginning when you uh, started speaking, you said that you're new to storytelling and that you've, you've only done it twice now. Something like that, right? Um, I've, when we started, I found the Rick and Morty uh, mm-hmm. D&D box set. And I had played before, but I had played with a group of old upperclassmen who like played three times and their schedules got busy, so it dissolved. Um, and I just floated the idea of, hey, if I bought this, would you all want to play? And like six people immediately came up and went, yeah, let's do it. And I went, oh, okay, cool, we're doing this. Um, so I I got the box set, I ran that. Um, we also ran, actually, it started with a Wendy's D and Wendy's mm-hmm. RPG that they had come out with that, uh, that Matt Mercer helped make a few years ago. Then that dissolved into Rick and Morty D and D. And then after that ended, I took a jab on my own world. Um, we did that for mm-hmm. most of the summer most of the spring semester and when it started to come back to this semester i knew it was going to be senior year i knew it was going to be busy i probably wouldn't have time to write a whole new session every week so i i i told my players straight out hey this is a lot for me so let's do a pre-made one i won't tell you what it is so there's still a surprise but I have a pre-made book. I have a pre-made adventure from Wizards of the Coast at my disposal. Let's just run with that. And uh, I've still been able to throw my own storytelling mm-hmm. bits in there, uh, especially with uh, bringing in the the, the uh, player characters into this pre-fabricated adventure. Um, and even just having liberty with what the personalities of all the different re- pre-written characters are. Um. I think, though, what that shows is the moments that make a story can range in significance, in humor, um, and that 
I think what you said about finding moments and then just building moment after moment after moment is really what creates a world. You, and you can't plan for a lot of those moments. It's like some of those moments, you know, like this big, big bad evil guy, right? You know that's going to be a big moment. Um, but sometimes uh, a lot of the story, I think a common misconception about role-playing games is that the GM does all the storytelling. And it's that's not true at all. It's relies so heavily on the four or the the three to six other people sitting around the dm right it's because you know i did not plan on my players starting a food fight right i planned on them being children but not never the the food fight and uh everybody has those stories right it's uh it's it's really fun, and I think that's part of the magic that uh, so many role-playing games have. Definitely. With that, uh, we are going to transition into our second part. So we're going to take a quick break, enjoy the music, um, and we'll be back to talk about some nerd news happening right now. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, now on to the news. Um, we have a couple of trailers that interested us that we wanted to talk about. Uh, Risen, I know you said you had some thoughts on the Mandalorian trailers and the Mandalorian Season 2, <laughs> which uh, will drop on Disney+, Plus, I believe, sometime early November. Uh, October 30th. I think it's yes. October 30th. I believe sometime October. No, <laughs> Uh, the new episode will drop October 30th, <laughs> Season 2, Episode 1. Right now, it's just titled Chapter 9. It hasn't gotten a name yet. Uh, Risen, what's your thoughts? What's your thinking? So, first of all, I think The Mandalorian is probably the best Star Wars thing ever made. Um, at least... To view. Um, it's the best piece of visual media that way. Um, Star Wars The Old Republic, the, the MMO, I think, Star Wars <laughs> the best piece of Star Wars media ever made. But um, okay. the, I will say, this is a really dumb pet peeve to have. But in one of the trailers, Mandalorian's on a boat. Just a regular boat, boat, and that bugs the shit out of me. <laughs> it, it bothers me to no end. 
Because why are you ever on a boat when there's space travel? When flying in a ship is a million times faster than a boat. Why are you ever on a boat? There's speeders that levitate. Why are they on a boat? There's animals that go significantly faster than, like they're not even underwater. They're just on a boat. And it's one of those things where I know it's dumb and I bet there's a reason for it and it shouldn't bother me as much as it does. But it's kind of, it's for me, it's kind of like Bear and Avatar. Oh, the Bear? The yeah. Last Airbender. It's like, it's like, why? You're breaking, you're, there's, there's so many rules of this world that you're just breaking for no reason, it seems like. Um, that being said, um, I love, this is going to sound disconnected. Give me a sec. I love Lone Wolf and Cub. An old, it's an old manga series from the 70s, and it's awesome. And I also love how uh, The Mandalorian brought Lone Wolf and Cub back into the spotlight. Uh, because the Mandalorian is Lone Wolf and Cub in space. Hmm. Um, if you don't know what Lone Wolf and Cub is, it is about this. It's a manga series, and it's about this um, old, th- this shogun executioner um, who got betrayed and became an assassin for hire. And uh, he goes around uh, with his son, with his like infant son. So it's just, there's a lot of cool panels where it's just him killing a bunch of people and there's an infant son in the background. It's, um, you know, obviously content warnings and all that, but it's, generally regarded as uh like an extremely important piece of media uh there there's if most things like that are in, heavily inspired from Lone Wolf huh. and Cub. I mean but a lot of Star Wars goes the back Mandalorian... to like old uh old films. I know Lucas was uh I, I want to make sure I get the name right. Kurosawa? Kurosawa, yeah. Um, Lucas was heavily influenced by the Kurosawa films, by the Flash Gordon series. Um, so it's not surprising that uh, Dave Filoni would take influence from something similar mm-hmm. in that regard. Yeah, it's uh, it's really cool to to see that story or that that trope. I'll I'll say because it, it's more of a trope than than it started a trope, but it's cool to see that trope reimagined in the sci-fi light of yet yeah, this bounty hunter going around with an alien son, basically. And since it's Star Wars, of course you give the son the force. Yeah, 
Like, it's, it's amazing. And it's everything that I've ever wanted from a show. But, uh, again, why the fuck is there a boat? Ever. The one thing that I'm wondering is... The Mandalorian was well served by how insular it was, almost. Like, there was nothing in The Mandalorian that you needed to have explained to you from a different thing. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that's someone from something else. No, these are all new characters, uh, and all the context you need is given to you in the show. I'm wondering if this new season is going to work as well. If we're introducing people like Captain Rex and Ahsoka Tano and uh, other people from other mediums that uh, aren't that take away that insularity, that take away that like condensed feeling, I think it. I think they'll do fine. Um, you know, because there were loads of references in the, in the first series, and so you didn't have to know anything because, you know, the point of view, the narrator, uh, you know, the Mandalorian didn't know anything. So you followed him as he went around the star Wars universe, not knowing anything about the star Wars universe. Um, and that's still going to be the case. You know, he's going to be this person who doesn't know anything about the broader universe, except his, mem- like, I mean, you know, I'm being a little facetious. Of course he knows um, <laughs> things about the Star Wars universe. But, you know, he doesn't know the Jedi. Uh, he doesn't know anything really about um, what the Empire was or anything like that. Um, he knows the remnants of it. He knows the remnants of the of the of the clone wars but he doesn't know what we know and so you don't have to know what we know to appreciate the show because the characters aren't referring to it in any way and if they did they would have to for the sake of the story tell the mandalorian what it is because mm-hmm. he doesn't already know yeah i I'm also just hoping that a Filoni doesn't unintentionally fall into the Star Wars trope of, uh, oh, but you're connected to this person who we know from the main series, or like in that sense. Um, n- not everything has to be tied back together to people who interacted with the Skywalkers, if that makes sense. Yeah, like it. Um, no, yeah, let the Skywalkers die. Like, let them... Exactly. <laughs> Their story has been told. It's, like, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid it's going to end up being like, oh, yeah, this is Yoda's kid. And we're like, why do we need that? We didn't need that. That, that, that fits nowhere in what was necessary. At Palpatine's yeah. daughter. Or Palpatine's <laughs> granddaughter. That, that might be just repressed uh, episode... Uh, eight lover in me being like, why did you have to do that? Just let her be her own thing. That was something I was happy about too with that. It was like, no, we're getting away from this idea of dynasty and innate power. Like, anyone can be the hero. Like, that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's all the thought is like, you know. Um, and I, 
think that's kind of the thought from the original movie too is before the revelation uh spoiler alert that <laughs> vader was the father um for those of you who don't know that already um there was that assumption that no luke really was this backwater kid from a desert planet you know and they started it with ray as well that ray was a backwater kid from a desert planet and it was refreshing that it was like yeah like you can do this it doesn't matter who you are or where you came from you can save the galaxy i will say to that point i i agree i think that Episode eight did a lot of did a lot of cool things, but one of the cool things was making Ray out to be this nobody who ascended to to becoming a hero. However, I would also like to throw out that um, Finn should have also been a hero. They didn't do his character nearly as much justice as they should have. No, I think. Uh, you know, seeing him with the with the lightsaber was an extremely powerful image because he was literally 48 hours before that happened. I'm pulling 48 hours out of my ass, but some <laughs> within that week, right? Within the week of him deciding, I would no longer want to be part of this evil empire. He had a lightsaber in his hands. And then he became a background character, right? So the the sequels did a lot did a lot of cool things, but it also messed a lot of things up. Yeah, I well, think. Yeah. To get on on track, I know we're all fans of tangents. <laughs> um, yeah. The the Mandalorian trailer. I mean, I'm I'm hu- I'm very excited to see what Dave Filoni is doing. I think he has done absolute wonders with the stories that he has directed so far and written so far. Um, him and John Favreau are working extremely hard to really make to really under, like to really make meaningful Star Wars content, and I think they're doing it very well. Um, I'm I'm also kind of hoping we get a uh, return of Taika Waititi's two stormtroopers. <laughs> Um, I mean, I think they, the, the cast of directors that they had brought on, I, I saw the little docu-series that they made in conjunction with it. Um, and the, the cast that they brought on was absolutely fantastic. And the direct, I mean, the directors that they brought on, um, really had some wonderful insights, were able to work together to think about what the series was going to be as a whole, um, I highly recommend that any fan of The Mandalorian watches the docuseries as well, because um, it's some really great and wonderful context about it all. Uh, moving on, um, I think we're just going to go to the uh, I, our second topic, um, virtual conventions and their uh, cancellations and extensions and perpetual delays. <laughs> uh, Risen, I know you actually did a bit of, I, I did a tiny bit of a virtual convention for um, Awesome Con, but I know you did some virtual stuff for Gen Con, and you've been an avid Gen Con goer, and it's one of your favorites. 
Uh, how was the difference between that? What's what are they trying to do? So yeah, I I um I attended some events for Gen Con and I attended some events for RTX at home. Uh, there were a lot of hiccups. I think that goes without saying. But what I think both did really well was they were like, we're going to put the emphasis on the community, right? So Gen Con made like a Discord that was free to use, open to anyone. And uh, there were there were chats, you know, where it was like, you know, if you want to play D&D, here's some random group and you can go play D&D with that group. Or if you want to play a board game by Tabletop Simulator, right, or whatever, and we can play board games that way, right? Uh, there were some cool panels, um, but like just recently, Gen Con announced, uh, like you typically Gen Con is only that once a year thing, right? Where they have the convention and, and that's the end of it. But um, for this year, they've extended it to like this monthly thing. Obviously the biggest thing happened when uh, the, the actual convention was supposed to, to go on. But like, just uh, they uh, just released this month's uh, community update. Uh, the their monthly community update, and they like highlight certain things, and they have certain events going on uh, with it. I, I think that they've done some some really cool stuff in that realm. And then with uh, RTX at home, they didn't. They did a cool thing where it was not just a weekend; it was a week. Yeah. So it was a, a week of streaming and a week of uh, panels and and everything. And I think that put a lot of stress off of both the uh, attendees in air quotes and. The panelists themselves and the the acts themselves, uh, and it allowed a lot of room for more people to step in, right? People who couldn't typically go to these events, it allowed them to finally go or uh, do something cool or interesting, or, or run a stream, or play a game, or. But yeah, it's it definitely has has its challenges. Uh, I know here at Ringling, we're uh, we have the just last year was the first um, anyone's game playtesting conference that we had on campus, um, where we we invited designers and it was it was a playtesting conference. Yeah. So you had people playing full board games but all the pieces were index cards right the where there's like talk about making it uh online next uh, this coming year and how that is going to work and what are we going to do to accommodate that 
those are ongoing questions that a lot of people are having and nobody really has the answer to, right? <laughs> uh, I think that's a very common theme though about no one really has the answer. And I'm, I'm fascinated by what everyone's trying to do. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I noticed AwesomeCon, uh, which is a great DC-based uh, convention. Um, I've gone several years. Um, they were doing a lot of panels that they actually made accessible through Facebook Live so mm -hmm. that anyone could just watch it, tune in, and tune out. Um, I know RTX was doing something similar with their Instagram uh, for some events, I think, if I remember correctly, uh, just trying yeah. to make it more generally accessible. Um, it's something that you see with the pandemic more broadly is that there's a lot of different people who are making things much more accessible than they ever were before. And mm -hmm. it makes you wonder why we couldn't try to do that in the first place. Um, where why we couldn't try to have a bit more accessibility to our, 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 our stories. Um, but it entirely doable to make this stuff accessible and it took a global pandemic for us to try <laughs> to start experimenting with ways and i'm wondering you know um as a as a final question um about this topic where what do we think if anything they're going to keep from this time period that's a that's interesting because after once everything is safe again if it ever is fully safe again God, I hope it is. Um, but if uh, when we get to that point, will it be? We will want that person-to-person -person connection, that feeling of being in a room crowded with a bunch of people. Um, but will there? Will they provide options where some of the panels that were uh, exclusively in person, parts of it will be live streamed, and then some parts will be exclusively like shuttered and not put on the live stream for the so that the people who are there still have a part of it that was like oh you had to be there to see this exclusive trailer and they only showed it to the people in hall h um and can it make it more parts of it more accessible for people who don't want to spend like 500 to a thousand dollars getting a plane ticket going getting a hotel room Mm -hmm. buying food waiting three hours in the line for a food truck like or and and all all the other passes and i uh, and print expenses that come with such a huge event um is there ways to make that preserve what was but also keep what now is I don't know. I mean, I hope that there is more. And I think you certainly see things about workplaces taking um, taking a lot from what they've done now and trying to make things more virtual in general. Work from home is becoming much more popular just as a general fact. So I, I think there is going to be a mix, that there is going to be more overall accessibility because I think there's a way to market it, um, that there is a way to sit, tell people, hey, like this is something that you can do. Come join us. And it helps build the brand. It helps make money. So I, I, I don't think it's going to go away entirely. But I, I do imagine that 
if they can try to convince everybody to come back and stay in the room and make a lot of money from that, that's probably going to be what they're going to do. <laughs> um, with that, that is a good place to end this first Stasis Chamber, our Ad Nerdium series. As always, thank you guys for watching. Um, we're hoping maybe to have some questions for the Stasis Chamber. So at any point during the month, if you guys have questions about the episodes that you are listening to, uh, send us an email at, at, at adnerdiumpod at gmail.com. Or, you know, send us a message on our Twitter, AdNerdiumPod, or our Instagram, AdNerdiumPod. There's a bit of a theme there. Um, <laughs> and let us know what you're thinking about the episodes. We'd love to incorporate your questions and thoughts into what we're doing. As always, this is Patrick. This is Will. And this is Risen. Signing off. Live long and prosper. <laughs>